and you would like leak blue dye for a few days. So that was just, I felt like an alien. It was, <laughs> it was kind of weird, but I was excited about it. On today's episode, we get up close and personal with Leanna's fertility journey. Um, it's a hard road that has a lot of twists and turns, and you never think it's going to happen until it does. So here's how it happened to her. All right. Um, okay, so where to start? I guess we'll start with how Jane and I met. Um, we met in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to the same college in Idaho, and we were a part of the same church group. I'd like to say our eyes just met and it was love, but there was a little <laughs> bit of a story behind that. But we won't get in there. Um, so in 2015, we got married. So 2016, we're still in college. We're coming off birth control. It happens when it happens. If it happens, it doesn't happen. We're okay. We're still in school, living off of beans and rice and barely keeping <laughs> ourselves alive. But, you know, we're hopeful for the future. That's We, we want a family and... That's what we're working towards. 2017, um, we began actively trying to start our family. We had been off birth control for forever. Yeah, you know, it was a year. Mm -hmm. Is something wrong? You know, all those questions come to your mind. Poor college kids, you know, we don't have insurance. Well, we have insurance, but not Not the best insurance. Not the best insurance. And And you were out of state, so then your insurance was even more wacky. It didn't even cover in that state. Yeah, so that was a little bit of... A struggle. So June of 2017, it had been six months of actually trying. You know, that's the number everyone tells you go see someone if you know you're not pregnant or no periods or whatever. So we went to go see a specialist in our little college town, and it was a pretty penny for college students, but it's okay. It was kind of worth it to get the ball rolling. Little did we know that would probably be the cheapest appointment we ever made, but it's okay. It's all right. Um, In 2017, we graduated. The medicine that the specialist gave me was making me super sick. I remember one day taking it, and within like 20 minutes, I was on the couch, and I was like about to faint, and I was sweating, and I wanted to throw up. Did not have a good reaction to it. So I stopped the medication. We were graduated, so we decided to move, start our lives somewhere else. And then Jade got a new job, started making good money. Our insurance hadn't kicked in yet, so it was kind of just a waiting game to get that ball rolling. That was a long, long few months of waiting for that to kick in. We were going through some family, personal struggles, and so, yeah, it was exciting, but it was also kind of a difficult time. But we were trying to stay positive and look ahead to the future. So, comes along 2018. January of that year, we were like, what's going on? Like, there's nothing going on, so what's going on? We started to see um, an endocrinologist, or an RE, which is a fertility specialist, and little did I know she would become, like, super close friends. I'd message her pretty much almost (laughs) every day, and uh, she's the sweetest lady ever. But, yeah, you kind of develop a friendship with your doctors when you see them almost every week. So during that time of those first few appointments, I'm learning more about PCOS. Um, I had a head MRI scheduled. They had found the Rathcleft cyst that I had, but I do not, thinking back to it, I do not remember that being like 
a hot topic. It kind of, I guess, was just glazed over. Maybe it wasn't as big. Um, maybe they didn't think it was going to affect me. So Rathclef cyst is a rare abnormal fluid-filled cyst, and it's found in your pituitary gland, which is in your brain. It's non-cancerous. It causes reduction of your sex hormones, which is your LH and FSH. Usually there are high prolactin levels and ovulation also dizziness, headaches, fatigue. It's something that you're born with and it usually only shows up at an MRI. So it's not really something that most people know that they have unless they happen to have a brain MRI like my doctor had ordered for me. This is so bizarre. bizarre. I don't I don't know. Or maybe they were treating it, but they were they were just telling me the medicine was doing something different. I don't know. I, I didn't just, even find it until you were looking back through your notes, right? Well, yeah, I've had two MRIs done. So one was done at the very beginning, and that was kind of glossed over, and then I had one done a few months ago. And then they were like, oh, that one. There's definitely something there. Let's get you medicated. So I don't know what that was about. It's just odd. I don't know. So they were anyway. just focused on your PCOS. Yeah, they were focused, I think, on the PCOS and maybe thought that the meds would maybe dual, you know, cover both. Anyway, um, March of 2018, um, I had an HSG, which is a X-ray where they inject blue dye into your fallopian tubes to make sure that they are open and flowing. And that was super exciting because, you know, about three months after you have that, you're supposed to be super fertile or super open and flowing and flowing and clean. <laughs> There's no gunk yeah. in there and it's just supposed to be I had to get someone to drive me home because the cramps were pretty intense, um, a lot of severe bloating, and you would like leak blue dye for a few days. So that was just, I felt like an alien. It was it was kind of weird, but I was excited about it. Still recommend it if anyone's on the fence about doing that. I think it's a good place to start. After that, we went through about six rounds of Clomid, the infamous infertility drug that a lot of people swear by. I don't have anything bad to say about it. I know a lot of people, that's kind of all they need is a little kick in the butt to get them ovulating. But yeah, so I did six rounds, which is the max rounds in a row you can do. Out of those six, I only ovulated four because of the cysts. Thanks, PCOS. <laughs> um, let's see, we did a ton of other drugs. We did letrozole, bromocryptine, we did Provera, um, all sorts of lovely drugs that all have every side effect under the sun. Let me guess, you got all the side effects. Too. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think, yeah, when they're like, oh, these could be what happens to your body. No, it's like all of this is going to happen <laughs> at the same time <laughs> oh, every no. day. But I don't know. It just, you live with it. That becomes life. And yeah. then is the Clomid, are they pills or are they shots? What? It, yeah, so the Clomid, it's a pill, and the drug makes your body think that your estrogen levels are lower than they actually are, which makes your pituitary gland in your brain increase the LH and the FSH. Okay. So my LH and FSH before Clomid was pretty much non-existent, which it would be the negative P-sticks. Yeah. So, yeah, it kind of gets your brain kicked into gear, but because the tumor that I have is on my pituitary gland... It's not enough. So all of those failed rounds of drugs, we move on to the dreaded metformin. And that was in August of 2018. That one, I have nothing nice to say about that drug. 
So metformin, it's a um, insulin resistant drug commonly given to people with diabetes, but it kind of has a dual effect for infertility because a lot of PCOS individuals can have insulin resistance. It's funny that they put you on metformin because you are usually it's associated with people that are overweight and you are Mm -hmm. like the opposite of overweight. I think from my experience, I'm learning that with infertility, there are a set amount of drugs that go with it. Mm -hmm. And before you can move on to the next one, you have to go through. It's almost like there was a checklist that you had to go through. You had Clomid, and then you have Letrozole, and then you have the Bromocryptine, and then you have Provera, and you have, there are all these drugs, and I felt like we were just going through a checklist. And I think what makes it so hard is they want to try one drug and pair it with another and see what that does. So then you have to wait a cycle. And then the next cycle, they want to take one of those and pair it with something different. And then the next month, they want to skip everything and just see if your body will do it on its own. So it's just, it's this ongoing cycle. And I think that was the hardest part for me was just not knowing which one was working and was it a combination or that was a little difficult, but metformin, uh, not to scare anyone, but it gave me horrible heartburn, nausea, bloating, gas, diarrhea. I mean, you name it. And it was constipation, migraines, every memory we joke, Jay and I joke about this all the time. Every memory that we have tied to those six months of me on metformin has a horrible bathroom story. <laughs> and just, it was, it was a real struggle. I couldn't leave the house much just because I was tied. It was, <laughs> and I know everyone doesn't have that reaction, but I feel like that one just, I think that was the I've worst. Heard, I've heard people love it or they hate it. So I've kind of hurt. Um, so I did that for about six months and I finally told my doctor I'd had enough. And within like a month of stopping it, I felt so much better. I felt like I had my life back. December of 2018, I had, or we had, I guess, the first <laughs> round of IUI. So that's an intrauterine insemination. So this is usually the step that people take before IVF, but it's not kind of talked about a lot. And I think we were talking about this the other day, um, Alyssa and I, and we think that people just maybe try to save up their money for the big procedure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we decided to go with the, the IUI, and that's where um, the sperm is placed inside of the uterus. Your eggs stay put. Unlike the I- IVF, you get a trigger shot, which um, you're taking daily ovulation tests, and when you see a spike or your doctor guesses you'll have a spike, you'll go in um, and you'll take a trigger shot and within 24 hours, your egg is supposed to be released. So don't they do like they check out the follicles and then they're like, this one looks juicy and ready. We'll give you a trigger shot in like six days. Yes. So pretty much throughout all of the infertility, you are constantly at the doctor getting blood tests, lab work, uh, ultrasounds, pretty much once a week and they're monitoring your eggs and they're checking for cysts and um, yeah, the trigger shots, you'll get an ultrasound and they'll be like, oh, there are two or three follicles ready to drop in a few days or they'll be the right size in this many days and you'll get a shot and the eggs will be released within a time window so that you're kind of given a 24 hour window of, you know, go home and baby. So that round failed. And then it wasn't until March 
of 2019 that we could do anything because I had a few rounds of cysts. And so we weren't able to do any sort of medication or procedures until March where we did our second round of IUI. And that round, we decided to go all in and get the daily injectables. I can't remember if it was like seven days or if it was 10 days, um, but those shots are very pricey. They're a few hundred bucks per shot. And then that was paired with a trigger shot, which I gave myself. And that, I just remember that was kind of painful. It takes you around to learn how to give yourself those shots. I remember one time I was at my parents and because you have to give your shots the same time every day. So we just happened to be at my parents um, for dinner one day and I had to give myself the shot and I guess I got distracted talking or something and I gave myself the shot a little bit too slow and so my skin started to bubble up and it looked really scary. Definitely learn how to do it right but it's worth it. it. It was totally worth it. So we, yeah, second round, we went on a little trip that weekend afterwards and uh, I've got my mind off of the procedure because the first time around I went home and that was all I thought about was mm-hmm. this is going to work. It's going to work. I think I got a little obsessive over it. The second round, we kind of took a little weekend trip and I think that helped get my mind off it. And I think there's a lot to say about the stress and just getting yourself a distraction. Two weeks later after the procedure, I have a gallbladder attack. It sends me to the ER (laughs) and uh, it was pretty intense. We were camping that weekend and within 20 minutes of getting home, I curl over the toilet and just start throwing up and I'm in sweats and I I can hardly breathe. And so my husband calls my dad and my mom over. He's in you know, he's freaking out. And I told him not to call an ambulance because that wasn't necessary, but kind of goes away. And my doctor, um, I call her and she says to go directly to the ER. It sounds like something happened. Um, So we go to the ER and I get blood tests done and they make you pee in a cup and, you know, just your basic check-in procedure. Um, They get me into a room and they come back and say, your pregnancy P test was negative, but there were some indiscrepancies. We need you to do it again. Long story short, they make <laughs> me do it five times. Oh, no. And each test kept getting a little bit stronger because we had had the IUI like almost exactly two weeks earlier. When they go to the hospital, you know, they ask you, so are you pregnant? And I'm like, um, there's a chance I could be, you know, I had this procedure two weeks ago. And I think that's also why maybe I had five pregnancy blood tests slash <laughs> pee cup, you know, lab draws. But I think the reason that it took the five, you know, was each one was slowly getting stronger <laughs> because it was literally like the first day you could find out if you were pregnant. So I guess that's kind of cool, but it was also super stressful and it was just very emotional very emotional day. Eventually a nurse walks in and, you know, I'm asking her, is everything okay? What's going on? And they're like, oh, you can't get the procedure done. And I'm like, what? And she like looks over at my mom and she says, congratulations, grandma. And I'm like, (laughs) I look at my mom and we're like, what? What did she just say? And then we kind of like get kind of excited. And 
and I'm like, wait, is that how she's announcing that I'm pregnant? Like, yeah. that's not cool, but <laughs> we were so excited. We didn't care. Well, I'm sure you probably felt like something was taken from you because we all dream about that moment when you're in the bathroom and you watch the stick, the pee go across the stick and you see the line slowly appear. And then you think about how you want to tell your husband and how you want to tell your family. And yeah, I, you, you think so. But when it was, I think I was just so caught up in the moment. I was like, I don't care. I just, mm-hmm. I've been waiting for this for like two years, but after I was released from the hospital, I did go home and pee on a stick because I wanted to Aww. see the positive test. And I took a picture and how I told Jada probably wasn't the best either. So, you know, my mom and I were at the hospital. I didn't see any need for Jade to be there with me. I wasn't currently in pain. So my mom took me. I had to stay the night and um, he was like, okay, how are you doing? Like, are you going to have the surgery? And I was like, um, no, <laughs> because I got a positive pregnancy test. And he just looked at me like, are you serious? What? His <laughs> eyes got so big, you know, I'm pregnant, so I can't get this out. And I was so emotional because I was like, what if I have another attack? Like, you know, is my body going to go into shock? Is, you know, am I going to have a miscarriage because of this? And I had all that going through my head. Going back now, I probably would have put a little more emphasis (laughs) on the I'm pregnant. But um, no, I think at the end of the day, you just, you want to hear those words. You want the test and all of your efforts leading up to that point kind of just disappear. Yeah. He's so cute, too. He's such a cute little baby. He's such a good kid. Love him so much. So So it was very exciting and kind of upsetting at the same time because I couldn't have the surgery. So all that was going through my head was, oh, my gosh, am I going to have another attack? And, you know, something's going to happen to me. Am I going to lose the baby because of it? I go home knowing that I just need nine months to get through it. And Mm -hmm. then I can have my gallbladder taken out. And hopefully the baby stays. Long story short, pregnancy went well. Um, Brody was born on Christmas Eve of 2019. He is our little Christmas miracle. Mm -hmm. And I'll have to share the birth story another day because it's actually kind of a miracle. Just everything about him is a miracle. Um, So fast forward to uh, September of 2020. Um, we decide, you know, hey, infertility journey that took, you know, a long, a long time. time. Let's not dilly dally this time. Let's jump back into our, uh, you know, procedures, see what meds we need to start taking. Let's start this process again. Got another MRI, and that's when they still, I mean, the cyst was still there, <laughs> but this time I think I'm putting a little more focus on it. I'm making sure that we address it because I do think that. You know, maybe if we had a a part. Yeah, I think it played a big part. We're going to make sure that that gets suppressed enough to hopefully get me to ovulate. Alyssa got me on the OviSense. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see where that goes. And Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to believe any of the results until I see the results. But yeah, they'll come. Did you go in and get a scan to confirm that you did ovulate? No, because with COVID... They can't really see you in person unless um, they quest or they see the need to bring you in. And so the way it, when you have your period, you go in the next day and they scan you and then they give you the meds they need. They send you off and you come back in like a week and they check your progress. But so I can't go in until that happens. But interesting. I don't want to get my hopes up 
but my body also hasn't, I don't think fully recovered since having Brody. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's going to be another added component of the struggle this time around, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. So from when you started taking the medication to actually getting pregnant with Brody, how long was that? So we kind of started medication 2018. It's the very beginning of it. So, and then we found out we were pregnant March 19th. So that's a year and three months of medication constantly. Mm -hmm. That's a long time. Yeah. It puts your body through a lot. It puts you through a lot mentally. Jade had a lot of mood swings to deal with. I apologize. <laughs> it's been, he's been super supportive and not only hard on the woman, but the man as well, because he had to take me to a lot of the appointments and, you know, he had to go get a sperm check, which I don't think any guy wants to have done, <laughs> but should. And yeah, for the IUIs, he had to be there for it. So yeah, it's definitely a journey that you feel like you're taking alone, but your spouse is there too. So, yeah. And I think it's really hard for him when you were going back and we were talking about it and knowing that, you know, he saw me going through this, but there wasn't a whole lot he could do just because it was my body and how I reacted. But it's something that we want together and get through it together. Yeah. I think that'll be a, probably a future episode of having our husband's take on this fertility journey that we're on and kind of get an insight into how they dealt with it and yeah. how they're dealing with it and what it's like to see the crazy person <laughs> on the outside. Where is my wife and what have you done with her? Exactly. That's kind of how Cody felt. He was like, you're a completely different person than you were before all of this happened. And I feel that because I was like, my periods were regular and then they went irregular. So yeah. your emotions have a lot. To um, I guess another positive coming out of how long it took us to get Brody was just I don't know, knowing that he got some time in heaven with my brother. So yeah, we named him after him and, and he reminds me so much of him. He's got the blonde hair and the little attitude and <laughs> the little sass. And yeah, I think there's a lot to say about you know, there's a reason why things happen when they do. And that's definitely a lesson that I've learned and, and Jade and I have come to accept. And going into, you know, trying this round to have another kid, I think that, you know, positive message is going to be on the forefront of our mind again. That's good. When it happens, it happens. I think we have more of like a cutoff age when we're not going to have any more kids versus oh. the number. Just because you don't know how many years it'll take. So, yeah. So the idea of secondary infertility, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's this theory that once you get pregnant and you have your first kid, your body knows what to do now and you're good to go from there. And that's obviously not true. A lot of people get pregnant even sometimes easily the first time and then the second time around struggle. And that's why there's a whole thing called secondary infertility. So did you guys have those conversations even when you were pregnant with Brody, just of like having a second kid. I think during the pregnancy, we kind of, we were in our own little bubble. We kind of forgot about the next round of infertility and we were just trying to absorb 
everything that was going on with pregnancy and enjoying each of the stages, you know, as he got older and we kind of approached the nine month mark where they say, you know, you can, your body's healed, you can start trying again. I think it definitely started coming up. I do think there is a lot to say about it may, you know, it being a slightly easier when you already have kids, not because of your body knows what to do because my body clearly doesn't know what to do. (laughs) Hence all of the tests again and, and the meds that we're starting. But I do think that you are kept busy enough. You have a kid. There's mm-hmm. so much going on. I can't sit and just Google and ponder all day about <laughs> what my body is doing in the moment and what's going on with my aches. But uh, I would be dumb to say if I don't still do that, but I don't think it, uh, I don't, it doesn't consume me anymore. Yeah. But, you know, not that our desire is any less to have another kid. It's maybe healthier. I think it's healthier. And I think having a kid to focus on and, you know, a marriage and trying to maybe fix some of the damages that were done during trials. Because let's be real, infertility kind of puts a large strain in marriages and relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, Not only with your spouse, but with your family and just, I mean, with your mental health. I think this time around, it's going to go a little bit differently. I'm so excited for you. I have so much hope and love and I'm giving you all of the positive vibes and appreciate and the <laughs> all the magic twinkle lights and sticky baby dust I can give you. Yeah, every woman has a story and mm-hmm. finding an outlet to share it with. Not that, you know, everyone needs to go public with their story, <laughs> but I think this podcast is is really good for me. You know, it's kind of an outlet when we were going through this the first time around. Um, you know, our direct family knew and a few super close friends. Um, I didn't want to shove it in people's faces, nor, you know, I was, I'm was i kind of a private person, but I do think this outlet is good. The people who listen to this obviously are kind of in the same boat as us. And, you know, they're learning how to process their emotions as well. And we're excited whenever we hear that other people struggling are pregnant and it's tough to see everyone else pregnant when they don't go through this, but. And then the pandemic of. Yeah, that's a whole nother. <laughs> put everyone kind of on pause for a year. So we're all learning to cope with mm-hmm. the availability of becoming pregnant on top of what I'm, our body's doing. Yeah. And all of the babies that came out of 2020. I know we're right at the start of the baby boom of COVID, aren't we? We're 10 and a half all, months in. The all lockdown. of the babies are here. And coming fast. They're coming. (laughs) So (laughs) let's hope that when we get our babies that, you know, maybe they're called quarantine babies, but we all know they're not quarantine babies. The journey started long before COVID. Mm -hmm. And it will continue long after COVID is over. Isn't it kind of crazy how you had to write your whole story down on a piece of paper? Like, what did that feel like? Oh, I know. So... Yeah, my journey here fits on a sheet of paper, but my emotions do not. And the length of time that we went through procedures does not even fit on a piece of paper, but they can feel so long and drawn out when you're going through it. I think you'd even agree that writing it down helps. I think Mm -hmm. there's something healing about just writing through everything you've gone through. I mean, you keep a journal, so I think it's therapeutic. What do you do to like kind of help yourself cope with everything or what did you do? I picked up a lot of random hobbies. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of a person where I'll 
um, I'll choose a hobby and I'll dive really deep into it really fast and keep it free for months and then move on. Um, and I think that was important for me to do because um, when you have something encompassing your whole life, you need something new and exciting frequently. Mm-hmm. And so I did some sewing, I did painting, I did some drawing, got a little into photography, went on a few spontaneous trips, super big into hiking and camping. Um, I think it's just good to get out and experience those things while you can and to use them as an outlet and then definitely opening up to family. Um, it took probably us a little while to decide that we wanted to tell family. Mm-hmm. Number one, because other family members were having kids and we didn't want to be a downer or yeah, distract and detract from their happiness. But um, knowing that we were going through it and becoming aunts and uncles and, and you know, seeing other cousins born. It was exciting, but it was also kind of hard. Um, But I think once we did open up to the family, it helped them understand what we were going through and maybe that it was kind of a more sensitive topic. And I think you just need the support at the end of the day. Yeah. And your family members are the ones that aren't going to judge you. Mm -hmm. And I think that was super important for mine and Jade's emotional health. Thanks for listening to my story today. If you have any questions about my journey or the medications I've taken or anything along the lines of that and the process that we've gone through, go ahead and message us at at Life's Fertile Questions podcast on Instagram.